0: Hello, and welcome to Talent Operations Anonymous, a safe space for process people, data nerds, system savants, and general gluttons for punishment. My name is Kyle Lagunas, Director of Strategy at Beamery, and I am the captain of this ship. I'm here with two talent ops all-stars, and we're diving deep into some big questions about this TalentOps business, the function, the role, the career path, and a few secrets to success. If you're new to talent ops, determined to break through in the new year or uh, running your own show and looking for pro tips on taking things to the next level, this is definitely the episode for you. Okay, so it's 2021 and we're finally starting to catch up to the rest of the business in terms of intelligent automation and digital enablement and data-driven process. (laughs) Things that weren't possible even a few years ago are increasingly routine. But uh, to manage all of that complexity, those new systems, those new processes and skills and requirements, well, we need dedicated specialists to keep things running smoothly. You know, the thing is, talent transformation initiatives vary widely from one company to the next. And uh, so does the scope of talent operations function. Talent leaders don't recruit for this role the same way, they don't develop or train for it in the same way, and they definitely don't even have the same expectations from the function. To explore this spectrum a little bit, and to help you make sense of it, I have invited two of my friends, Jonathan, or J.R. Reyes, Uh, he's the Director of Global Talent Acquisition Operations at Uber, and uh, Eileen Kowalski, the Global Head of Talent Acquisition Operations at Mondelez International. So let's uh, get them a the chance to spill it all or at least as much as we can in 30 minutes. Check it out. Welcome to this episode of Talent Operators Anonymous. I am your illustrious host Kyle and I am joined by two of the geekiest people I know, um Eileen Kowalski and JR Jonathan Reyes. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank
1: there you. you. Happy to be here. Yeah, same here.
0: Yeah, I'm ecstatic. that. I mean, I know you guys are actually have major projects underway, and I appreciate you making time for this. Mm -hmm. Um, You both know that I'm really passionate about seeing the rising star of Talent Ops. And I will say that the two of you are um, definitely emerging thought leaders in this function. So the audience is really stoked to hear your perspectives on a number of things. Um, So maybe we can start with some introductions. Um, Eileen, do you want to take us off?
1: Hello, everybody. My name is Eileen Kowalski. I have spent my entire career in talent acquisition. Through the years, I've held a variety of roles uh, in a variety of industries, different sectors, including contingent, retained search, RPO, spent a number of years in RPO, made the leap over to corporate, uh, where I have been for probably the last 10, 11 years.
0: You know, It's interesting um, seeing the RPO background. I actually have observed this in a number of other senior leaders in talent ops having this services experience. Um, how do you think that your background in RPO and contingent set you up to succeed in, in your role now?
1: The role of an RPO leader. And I started in RPO as a recruiter and then worked my way up. The it's a service industry, right? It used to be called augmented staffing or <laughs> augmented teams. But in reality, it is, I think, the birthplace of these true talent operations roles. It's really, it really kind of forced me into that operations mindset. For yeah. so me to be successful in an operation or in a an RPO leadership role, I had to very quickly adapt into this service mindset where I was always thinking about how do you optimize, how do you maximize, how do I do things faster, quicker, more efficiently? Uh, And so I I think it was actually the perfect setup and experience to make the shift into talent operations.
0: Yeah, I I would absolutely agree. Uh, It's also a margins business. And so the more you can do with less, the better, the more successful you are, right? And so you're under constant pressure to do more. And, and I think all of talent acquisition has been for a long time, but it's especially pronounced in the services space because, pardon my French, your ass is on the line, Absolutely. right? If you can't deliver on stakeholder expectations. If you can't deliver on SLAs around contractual obligations for delivery, like, guess what? You're out and somebody else is coming in, and that pressure, I imagine, just pushes you
2: to excellence, Uh, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Like Eileen, I'm a lifer. Uh, I've been in TA all of my professional career, I think coming up on 17 years. Uh, Multiple industries, multiple geos uh, across the UK, Australia, LATAM, and now the US here in San Francisco. Mostly on the delivery side, I was kind of head of TA, kind of very traditional, and I've, I've only just spent my last year in, as a head of TA ops. Uh, so I'm not as haven't got as many years as I leaned, but I was. Uh, I, it was my dream to be in uh, TA ops. I was kind of always a. Um, <laughs> I don't know anybody that
1: that uh, that voluntarily went into TA ops. I feel like we've all kind of just fallen into that space.
2: Yeah. I, why, I, always, I was always a TA ops person masquerading as a kind of head of delivery, so that that's probably why I'm here.
0: Well, that's really interesting. I mean, what is it that uh, about the ops aspect?
2: <laughs> Look, I think um, I, I like the concepts, like the concept of innovation and driving towards productivity. Obviously, the, the productivity piece was something that I was passionate about. Not not in the same way from a margins perspective, where I kind of was schooled, but I was always really focused. on that. I grew up at IBM as well, where we were always kind of, you know, we, we ran lean. And so even though we were a really big organization, we kind of always looked for the best way to do things. And I think that was, a for me, a really good school around how to operate a business. Um, I became a head of TA like fairly young. I was 29 and I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, that school was an important one in kind of shaping how I ran my functions moving forward. So not quite as, um, I suppose as strict as an RPO because I've got many friends on the other side. Um, but it certainly was a nice kind of um, education around how to be, you know, effective with your resources, right, and maximize what you can do. So
0: yeah, I think so. I mean, and it, it's it's interesting though that as a starting point of maximizing delivery, utilizing the resources available to you, um, like I said, for you, Eileen, it, it forced excellence upon you. Like that was the only way to survive. Yeah. Um, and now we look at how the ops function has evolved beyond just you know um, system administration process policing it really is one of transformation and enablement and acceleration uh, it, I, I feel like everybody is drawn to excellence how do we how do we get there in your experience what is it about ops that has ta leaders in in companies big and small that are clamoring to have a lead for yeah. this kind of function
1: for those of us that are lifers we've seen this incredible evolution of the TA function. If I go back to my recruiting days, I'm totally going to date myself. I vividly remember sitting down at my first recruiting job in Midtown Manhattan with a fax machine, a phone, a phone book, a pad and a pencil. And that was my database. And it was, we had paper files that were in cabinets, and that's how we kept track of our candidates, and everything was paper. If you look at what's happened over the years, we now have various pieces of technology that help us keep track of our candidates, that help us pipeline our candidates, that help us advertise our positions, that help us optimize the positions that we're advertising. Search engine optimization, we have um, augmented writing tools. We have so many things at our disposal to make sure that the way that we reach candidates and the message that we're putting out there will make an impact, right? But we didn't have that a long time ago. So if you think about the role of a talent acquisition leader 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even, the way that we operated was so simplistic and it's so complicated and complex now. There's so many different things. There's integrations and a million different things that you need to manage. And so that original TA leader role, and you took that person from whatever, 1990 or even the year 2000 and plopped them into 2020, they would probably have a coronary, right? <laughs> There's a lot going on, a lot to manage. It's not, yeah. it's not just are your recruiters identifying candidates and getting them in front of a hiring manager and managing that process? Are they being compliant? are, are the requisitions up to date? Are we making sure that we don't have uh, we're not leaning in in the direction of a bias from our job postings? Uh, do they make sense? Are they externally friendly? Do we have you know there's so many different things to take into consideration. And so yeah. I don't think it's it is possible any longer for somebody leading a talent organization that's quite large or even, me, I mean, really depends on the company, right? Even medium size, it, it's not really possible to manage all of these things.
2: Yeah, look, I'll, I'll just add a couple of things that I, I think has this particular function emerging or growing. Uh, look, I think it's mirrored in broader HR. I think the complexity of HR has increased and so has, so has TA, right? So I think if I look at HR ops, that's so become an even more relevant part of the organization. It really drives some of that. Um, I, I think to me, there's an external fact, two external factors as well. One, the, the change in behavior from candidates, right? And kind of the consumer, the consumerism that's come into uh, industry. Most of the candidates, well, all the candidates we deal with today, avid consumers and they expect a certain experience. Actually, they expect an experience versus a process, right? And so the moment that shifted, and I think that shift has been fairly recent for me, maybe the last kind of 10 years. Now, when your candidate is a consumer and wants an experience, you have to design a system that is far more complex than what you had in the past. A fact is yeah. never going to cut it. I also got to send a fax in my first recruitment job, I think, so don't <laughs> worry about that. So I think that external factor is driving a lot of the change within the industry. And then the last, the, the kind of the other external factor that I often think about is the emergence of HR tech and recruitment tech, right? It's been lagging for so long. Like If you look at the way technology is involved in, finance, God, like, maybe not the legal sort but finance and the core business, tech has driven so much change. And I feel now we're in, a, in an era, and I think we're lucky to be in TALs because of it, where tech can drive a lot of change from an like, experience point of view, from a behavior point of view, from a compliance. So I think doubling down on what Eileen said, but then adding those two external factors, I think, gets us to this point of you know, this industry becoming something more relevant. I, th- I think you're both right. <clears throat> One thing that um, I think is also at play here
0: is the scale of delivery. And uh, I mean, it's, we, it, it's so funny. I said about this the other day. A lot of people like to diminish the expectations of instant gratification that candidates have. But our leaders expect these things too. You know, it's not like they are patient and they understand that this is a process and this is going to take time. They are also expecting results. And whereas um, HR and talent leaders have fought for that proverbial seat at the table, it's not just now they get to sit there and and feel important. They're like, shit, I've got to deliver. I've got to bring the reports. I've got to tell the data story about what we're doing and where it's going and what kind of outcomes we're realizing. And I need to have the data to inform what our business plans are. So it's relevant that I'm at this table now. Uh, And ops is right there behind that talent leader that's propping them up and helping them to pull this information and helping them to to, um, get what they need so they can walk in prepared.
1: Well, so sometimes it happens that way and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I'll tell you the benefit of doing it that way from, and this is my my own personal opinion. When you involve your ops leader and your locked elbows to bring a strategy to execution, the boxes get checked in the right order, right? So, and what I mean by that is, I'll just make up an example. Uh, you want a new tool and it needs to build, be built into your existing process. There's a technology integration. There's a, you know, you need to think about data security and privacy and GPR and experience, et cetera, et cetera. Reporting, how are you gonna pull the data out? Was it designed in the most efficient manner? When you, when you bring, when you get to this point in the process uh, and then you bring your ops person in and they say, look at it and go, well, this isn't going to work because you can integrate this with this or it's going to require your recruiter to go backwards 15 steps or it's a poor candidate experience or you can't report on it. Right. Then mm-hmm. then you leave your ops partner in this position where they're scrambling to fit a round peg into a square hole. And at that point, you may be so far down a process or contractually obligated with this new tool or product.
2: Helping execute something to deliver is, is something that I, I often kind of think this is what I'm here to do and help facilitate that. On the flip side, I often think about this a lot. Like I, I don't want to be restrictive, right? So like I work for an organization where experimentation is is a really important part of what we do. And so I do like sometimes the push and pull that comes with like someone on the other side saying, no, JR, we need to try this. Like mm. stop thinking about everything that's not going to make it work and start thinking about everything that's going to make it work. And make sure the I mean, right things, right? Or the right tools or technologies yeah. approaches versus maybe going down some rabbit holes that, that, that mm-hmm. might not get us there. That maybe seem like it, but might not get us there.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't think the role of ops should be viewed as the police. I've, I've also been called the police, so I'm not saying that to be offensive. <laughs> Although it, it is a little bit right. Our role isn't to be the police. Our, our role is to enable, you know, to bring ops in in the beginning of the process. You're not asking for somebody to say, no, you can't do this. And here's why. What What you really should be saying to your ops leader is. We have this problem. We need to solve for X. Here's our initial idea. What do you think? Any other thoughts? Can this work? Will it work? Do we need to think about it differently? Do we need to peel back the onion? Right, And that's where ops can really bring incredible value to the table.
0: Yeah, I, I hear you. And I agree. I can't remember which one of you said this, but <clears throat> he threw out this, this great quote, ops is the engine. Without it, recruiting doesn't move. And that's really what you're both talking about with like ambitious plans or something coming at you that you weren't expecting. Mm -hmm. And and if it goes, if it doesn't have any filter to go through, anyone to actually make sense of it and decide how will we navigate this, Mm -hmm. it's just constant disruption. I I feel like ops is a bit of a stabilizing force.
1: Experience, the hiring manager experience. And I think, you know, back to my initial um, point around, talent acquisition becoming this incredibly complex and sophisticated um, function, right? With all this technology, the world has changed and evolved. Candidate has a bad experience or a hiring manager has a bad experience. You know about it instantly, right? And the, the detrimental piece or part of that, uh, result of that is that you have the candidates, people, hiring managers, whoever, we have so much access to social media that can immediately start tarnishing a brand or reputation. Mm -hmm. And so the last thing that we want as operations is for anybody to have a bad experience with a process, a tool, a technology.
2: I think about purpose, right? And then uh, complexity is, I think, the perfect word. And I think it's mentioned a couple of times. It it is a much more complex environment and ecosystem that we have to just be able to recruit. then I think about the job of the recruiter. And... I was a recruiter for a little while, and my job was far simpler when I was a recruiter, kind of 10, 12 years ago, than what I see the recruiters uh, today, you know, in all of the companies that I work for. Like, it's it's such a blend of skill sets now. And we tend to add more things to recruiter roles and to take away, right? It's, it tends to be these <laughs> like, well, no, the recruiters can now do like a little bit of that headcount planning. Now they can advise on the type of role that they, the candidate's going to, that manager needs. Now they can advise on this. And so, the recruiter role is becoming more and more complex. You know, my team and I, we often talk about it, like, okay, so what do we what do we do to simplify? Because it's already very complex. And
0: it's—it's.
2: Yeah. It's, I think it's an really incredibly hard role to do really well. On the flip side, a lot, a lot of people assume that it's a really easy role to do, right? So like I kind of like, you have to navigate these two things. Like the people that are doing it know how hard it is. But the people that are not doing it assume it's a really easy role to be a recruiter. Ops plays a part in... Those are two things: one, one educating people about the complexity of talent acquisition, but two, simplifying the role for recruiters, which are an end user for me. And so, I th- that's I think that's tricky, and but it, ha- it has to be something that we we try and do and prioritize.
0: I mean, it, right? Even uh, Eileen, you're talking about um, if if a hiring manager has a bad experience, if a candidate has a bad experience, you hear about it right away, and yeah, you 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 want to mitigate that. But think about what happens if somebody comes at you that's had a bad experience has a bone to pick with you derails your whole day and like i think prioritizing that that recruiter experience will take you in ops leadership to to a, a much better value add than just prioritizing everybody that they have to support it's like it does actually end up being almost a trifecta of priorities all ships rising with that tide What do you think is the greatest challenge that we need to address as we go into this next cycle of transformation? I'm thinking about like automation, augmentation, artificial intelligence, what comes to mind?
1: At the end of the day, right, when you data is imperative to drive the conversation. I I think we have so many different places that we need to pull from too, right? Which Obviously, the, the function is complex. You need to be able to um, tell the story in, in the most impactful way. And it's not always around ROI. I know what my stakeholders look for is, obviously, they want to know, did we get the most bang for our buck? But they also want to know things like, how, how long are candidates sitting and waiting for us to take action? Um, what's our throughput? Right? How many candidates does it take us to get from the beginning of the pipeline to a hire? It's become almost a juggling act, right, to be able to pull the data, present it in a way that tells the right story, and then be able to use it to. We need to change our process because the data shows we have twenty percent of our candidates falling out during onboarding because it's a horrible experience. Mm-hmm. Or we need to. Um, you know, I don't know, buy this piece of technology that is like a chatbot because we're seeing that candidates are viewing our roles but not always applying. So we need to do something to pull them into the process, right? And so I think the having the data to be able to tell the stories, it's, it's complicated. It's not easy. You, you're pulling from multiple facets. But I, I think operations has become really the key driver of using the data for the the TA function to to drive the story um, and drive the points home. I, I mean, at least I find that I'm constantly looking at the data to be able to formulate the story.
0: I, I would say that looking at the rest of the recruiting organization, Ops is definitely where the most data savvy people sit.
1: Mm-hmm. They're
0: drawn to it. Uh, JR, what's your take?
2: Yeah, I think from a challenge perspective, and uh, I don't think this is unique to, to my situation. I've spoken to a lot of Ops people, and it's clarity on all the way from business strategy and linking that to talent strategy. Mm-hmm. Kind of if you look at a triangle of like speed, quality, and cost from a, from a talent perspective, there's you know, some Venn diagrams, like where do you want to land in that, in that triangle? And, and what are the levers that you want to pull? Because different organizations focus on different things, right? Organization A might be cost, organization B might be just 100% quality. And, and so there's some things that you need to navigate. Unless you start to get clarity on that, um, that kind of strategy or, pu- or purpose, Mm-hmm. I find it really difficult for, for ops to kind of build the right environment to get us there, right? Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes when I speak to my colleagues, because they're so it's so gray on where they want to land, building an environment becomes really difficult because they're trying to solve for three things at once when in reality there's an intersection between a lot of these variables, right? And so you can't solve for all three because it's impossible to have something perfect that hits all three. So you have to make some decisions. And those trade-offs, I think, make... Um, the ops are really, really challenging because on top of that, you've got to layer some of the things that I link covered, like risk, data, compliance, and then the experience of end users or candidates. So it's just complex from that point of view. It turns from
0: a Venn diagram into a spider chart, yeah, into yeah. a knowledge cluster. Like
2: <laughs> so I do often find myself kind of asking the question like, okay, so w- what talent do we need? What experience do we want to give them? And, yeah. you know, what are the, what are the trade-offs that we're willing to make? Cause there's always going to be a trade-off. And I think that makes it a really difficult role. I mean, JR, I, I, mean, I think that final point is one of the biggest challenges
0: that a lot of talent acquisition organizations struggle with. There's just that shiny object syndrome that we have always been prone to. And we just chase those shiny things. And we think this will solve my problems. Ah, oh, this is what I needed the whole time. It's a silver bullet. Right. And I mean, Eileen, you were talking about getting uh, ROI for things like somebody's coming to you with a, uh, an investment in a new tool, and they all they think about is we need the tool. They yeah. don't actually think about implementing it into the existing stack. They don't think about actually where it's going to enhance and where it might actually disrupt c- existing process. They really just think this is really cool. We're an innovative, cool recruiting team. We yeah. should have this. Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> The, the other thing that I've seen, operations isn't always fully leveraged. I've seen that kind of that shiny, right? That shiny prize oh, syndrome where you're like, oh my God, this is the coolest technology. We need this. We need this. What I have asked, and I continue to ask this when somebody comes and says, we need this tool because it does X. My question back is, why do you need this tool? Do you need this tool because you're trying to solve for a gap in in capability on your existing team, or are you trying to solve for lack of efficiency, or are you tr- like, what are you trying to solve? And I think what I've seen many many times is that we want that shiny object because we don't have the capability internally, and we are looking for that silver bullet. We're looking for you know, this is going to solve our problems. It's the secret sauce. Well, the reality is it's not the secret sauce. It's It enables you to create the secret sauce. Yeah. It's one of the ingredients. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that there's this, this element of enablement, right? Ensuring that, uh, and this is where ops can really lend that that hand, is making sure that your recruiting team is up to date on the latest and greatest ways that you would source a candidate, new tools, how to leverage them, uh, you know, new ways of identifying candidates or building out your pipeline. And so it's not always about bringing a new tool to the table, but it's also about strengthening recruiter skills.
0: JR, you had talked about connecting the dots between like, uh, uh, like starting, like the, the big challenge was connecting with strategy. And I really do think that that is something that ties in with like, enablement and, and technolo- investing in technology, optimizing systems, if you don't know what you're trying to solve for or what you're on the hook for from a strategy perspective, all of these decisions are happening without any context um, but yeah well, I mean, what's your take here?
2: No just I mean just adding to to what Eileen's been saying you know with, with this kind of these shiny object you know, scenarios that we find ourselves and you know, I'll open a, a bracket here this is boring. JR ops statements that my kids gets to hear all the time, but like technology doesn't solve process, right? And so I'm always like, that's my first thing. I'm always like, no, technology doesn't solve process. Let's like, let's solve for process or experience and then use technology to either augment it or automate it, right? And I'm really good. I'm like, I love those two things, but it's kind of going back and only touched on like core problem statements. Unless we get to the core problem statement, Like I I don't get that excited about technology because I'm always like, well, do we even have a process that tells me where things are broken and then let's try and fix them. As a former head of TA, it sounds like the most painful thing to be told because I'd be like, actually, well, I'm 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 in the trenches here. I'm like, help me fix this now. And I'm like, well, why don't you just design a process? Like I get it. But I think sometimes like the solving something quickly versus solving something over a long period of time the challenge there is that the problem is immediate. And then we have obviously the, the business that is either growing or needs the talent. And me coming up with a medium term solve doesn't always fit, right? And so it's just kind of, again, going back to this back and forth and this balance of.
0: I think it also, though, represents what both of you have shared, which is um, that you find yourselves taking on an in, in ops, managing what your peers and TA leadership don't have the time. For or don't have the interest in, like you're saying like, hey, I'm in the trenches here. I need a solution now. And you're telling me to build a process. No, I don't have time for that. You in ops say, well, that's why I'm here. I have already put together this candidate journey map and I've identified the friction point here for you. And here, let's talk. Like you have time and you have expertise. We are drawn to problems, right? Whereas our, our colleagues in the in the actual, in the trenches are trying to just push through. Mm-hmm. What advice would you guys give to your colleagues whether they're currently ops leaders or they're aspiring to step into an ops role? What advice do you have for them as they consider creating value at these at these decision points, at these experience points that their
2: colleagues don't have any interest in. One year in ops you also get pitched a lot of things, which is I think is great and it's one of my favorite parts of the role, but I, I often ask two questions. One, does it scale? And two, does it solve this problem somewhere else or is it just solving your problem? And mm-hmm. like at a micro level, like that's a really two simple questions to ask a recruiter that like comes up with an idea or sees a product. And I'm like, if if it doesn't tick one of those boxes, it might not be, it might not be something worthwhile. And kind of this just like systemic or systematic thinking, I think is a really good way to to get into ops, right? When you start to look at something in a much broader lens and in front of you, uh, and, and connecting dots. Like I said, I always masqueraded as a as an ops person because I I often kind of that's what I was focused on, right? Like how do I how do I make this better for for not just the problem that I'm feeling, but like an ecosystem. I kind oh. of like always wanted to fix the whole thing, not just my bit. And it was kind of a thing that I often ran into walls, right? Because there wasn't a TA ops person. Or the TAOs person said, yeah, just be quiet for once." And so I think that's a really good piece. Like I think it's about thinking and problem solving. Yeah, I, I, that would be my biggest piece
1: of advice. I would I would agree with that spot on, right? I think there you often are challenged with trying to understand: is this solving for an exception, or is this going to improve the norm?
0: I love that. and you know I think these are these are like nuggets that people need to just be able to ask themselves too, um, not just whenever they come to you but if you as a good ops leader are trying to you're not trying to do all this on your own right you want to maybe get everyone into a, an excellence mindset and so you want people to come to you with ideas and if they think am i solving just my problem or am i solving others mm-hmm. is this going to scale then that's getting them to think like leaders themselves you're enabling more than just their immediate performance okay let's talk about the career track yeah i mean one of the things that i've i've uh realized in the research i've done talking to a number of different ops pra- uh, ops professionals is that a lot of us come into this role in different ways i am really curious in finding where uh where the commonality is so i'm curious from from your experiences what function Um, Maybe in talent acquisition today, do you find uh, has a lot of potential for Ops candidates?
1: Uh, I've had individuals express interest in joining an operations team who have been, you know, recruiters who have just been very process oriented or super innovative and inquisitive and always looking uh, for ways to do their job more efficiently. The recruiting coordinator is an interesting role because in theory that that role, I mean the organization that I sit with now that you know coordinators are in operations, that's an operational role and I think that when you have a recruiting coordination function where they're supporting the recruiters and they're they're administering these administrative tasks and it's very process oriented and they're it's all about efficiency and candidate experience, right? And pulling the candidate over the finish line onto day one. You know, those roles tend to kind of flow very nicely into an operations uh, role, right? I would absolutely cherry pick from a recruiting coordinator. But I think that you can find strong talent within the TA function as well, right? In a recruiter Mm -hmm. role or recruiting leader role or.
2: I agree, Alina. I think um, like you, um, the RC functions sits in the, you know, the current iteration of ops where I am right now. And we have some great success stories of recruitment coordinators now, you know, squarely in in an ops type role. Um, And I think some of the things you touched on are the, the skill sets that are core to the function can be really found in rcs because that's the way they kind of operate it's kind of this systemic it's it's process and they can see that like you know making a small change to a process can lead to like hours of savings right because they get to experience it day to day maybe recruiters don't always get that exposure so i I do like the the pathway and i've seen it and i've obviously just talk about it so i think it's a it's a good option we've also well i've certainly explored like adjacent industries or adjacent skill sets. Like we've got someone who's an ex SAP implement, like implement like, you know, someone who implemented SAP is gonna look at our systems and go, that's easy, right? Like we can do that. And we'll kind of come with a more complex list. And there are some things like enablement which lend themselves really well to bring in someone with external skills. So right now we're like, we're a hybrid of homegrown and kind of external skills come in. But I think as, you know, as you keep saying, like more ops, ops becoming more prevalent in functions, you'll see this skill set grow bigger and bigger. And I think we'll get kind of like an industry and a career path where it's like, hey, these are the things that you need to have to be ahead of ops. And then, you know, you can build towards and put your jigsaw together. But I think it's it's a little nascent, but I do like the RC connection, going back to mindset and problem solving. Sure, This process orientation is, is an important
0: thing, uh, perhaps. I think there's probably the other mindset and Eileen, I this comes from something you had shared before is being okay with the underdog. Um, you know, I think one thing you told me early on in my research into this role, Eileen was the best day you have in ops is a day with no complaints <laughs> like, or the best compliment you get is no complaints. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like,
1: <laughs> you you have to, I, I always say, you know, everybody always jokes. They say talent acquisition is the redheaded stepchild Ops is the redheaded stepchild of the redheaded stepchild. You have to be able to thrive in chaos and you have to be, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable.
0: Just so interesting, like system, system thinkers, problem solvers, you usually want stability. But you're constantly operating and in, in trying to, to manage chaos. That sounds, uh, yeah, it sounds terrible to be honest. <laughs> yeah. hey,
1: it's all about the personality and the person. This is—I don't think ops is for everybody. Uh, you either love it or you hate it. There's no in between.
2: So, Eileen, if I can ask you a question because I've thought about this, and I'm like, is this am I successful when I'm no longer needed? Is that is that like if I think of my nirvana? This is what we've done, we've created all of this. I often think I'm like, am I trying to do myself out of a job? and and sometimes I my mean, often my answer is yes, like if I can get to a point where there's stability and I mean change is' it's a constant, right? but there's, theres I have that thought sometimes I'm like, maybe my most successful version is that really I'm not needed as much as I am right now.
1: Yeah, well, and I think you know there could be truth to that. I guess the good thing for us in ops is. The function is evolving so quickly and there's new new technology, new legal and um, regional requirements and legislations that are constantly being thrown into the mix that I don't know that we'll really ever work ourselves out of a job. But I think we'll get to a place where um, what we do evolves as well, right? As the TA function evolves, the ops function will evolve differently and and what we do today may it may not like i could tell you my role today and i've been in an ops role a straight up ops role for probably the last 10 years looks nothing like my original ops role
0: i certainly hope that you guys aren't writing yourselves obsolete, because i've kind of hitched my horse to this trailer um i want this this podcast to have shelf life for at least another few years so Slow down, JR. <laughs> so um, let's wrap up with um, a something really interesting that came up when we were preparing for this. I found out that you don't exactly agree on this topic, which is who is Ops customer internally? And Eileen, you said recruiting is our number one customer, hands down, no doubt about it. And you had this like, yeah, moment. And Jr. was like, I actually don't know if I agree. So, uh, ladies first, you can state your defense, and then uh, Jr., I would like for you to offer a rebuttal. So,
1: so I still believe that, right? I still believe talent acquisition is our number one stakeholder. We are, and I know Jr. We did not agree on this, right? Ops is our support function. That that's our that's our that's our role. Um, I do believe that our role is to ensure that our recruiters are enabled to do what they need to do in the most efficient way possible, that they have the tools, the technology, the learnings, the development to be able to go and have a difficult conversation with a stakeholder and build a lasting relationship with a candidate. That is our core function. I do think you know there are other functions within an organization that obviously we interact with that are our stakeholders that we will help drive. And influence change for me. Our number one stakeholder is hands down the talent acquisition organization.
0: Jr., are you going to let her get away with that?
2: <laughs> okay. uh, no, just, look, I um, I don't like the word client. So you know, Eileen's the same stakeholder. So I can already tell that she's changed her mind a little bit because she's changed the word. So <laughs> i kinda already won the debate. But uh, in all seriousness, just from a broader sense. Enabler and facilitator for me are kind of the right words, and and so for me it's not a client or stakeholder relationship. It it becomes a like a partnership that enables. And so, and I also feel like in this role, because of the breadth of like governance, data compliance, my stakeholder group is much bigger than just my TA group. And in fact, I think I have a responsibility to have a broader lens, because if I don't, we we kind of like in the role I I feel now, certainly these days. And so I feel like I I often take my team down to like breadth of like stakeholders are end users and that end user is the candidate, the hiring managers, recruiters and the organization, right? So I I am kind of a little bit obsessive about that with my team. And so it's just a philosophical point of view because I, at the end of the day, I have to concede that Eileen has many more years experience in in doing (laughs) things than I do. But I, I I like to take a much broader lens on that. I feel that the more we do that, the better we are in our roles. And so that's 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 the disagreement, and that's not really a disagreement. That cars just
1: yeah.
2: I'm just trying out to stir things up and make <laughs> this. <start laughs>
1: and I would agree. I would agree with what you're saying in concept, right? At the end of the day, we're here to make sure that things move smoothly, right, throughout the yeah. process. Don't get me wrong. Right. It's super important to understand the hiring manager experience and the candidate journey and and as well as the recruiter experience. Um, so, yeah, I think-, you know, I think
0: I think the other interesting thing here that Jr. touched on is T.A. Ops does have these connection points further into the business that actually are required to make recruiting successful into into I.T., into compliance and risk and into HR. I mean, those are really like important stakeholders to manage as well. Um, But yeah, it is, JR, I I don't know, she's got some years of experience on you. So maybe, uh, I I don't know what's gonna win out, the the wisdom of of experience or the vision of fresh perspective. Uh, We'll let the audience decide. Um, but thank you guys both for coming and for bringing some some wisdom, some perspectives. Um, clearly, you guys are really passionate about this. It's cool to talk to people who see this as a calling and not just a job. And I hope that you are inspiring other uh, other talent acquisition pros to join the fray. It certainly inspired me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks guys. We will catch you on the flip side. Until next time. All right, well first, while JR and Eileen respectfully disagreed on some of the questions we discussed, they agreed on this point. In Talent Ops, you have to know how to tell your story with data. Whether you want to set up TA leaders for success, influence stakeholders, you need to be telling a story and not just sharing numbers. If TA Ops has a superpower, this is it, knowing how to tell your data story. Second, and especially this is important for those of you considering a career in Talent Ops, you better get comfortable with the idea of keeping the engine running. This is a perfect opportunity for you if you get your kicks from optimizing processes, diving deep into data to figure out what's working and what's not, all while managing a wide array of stakeholders. But you really need to keep in mind that a good day in talent operations is a day with no complaints. Eileen said it best. You're at the front lines, but not necessarily very visible. And uh, from Eileen's point of view, at its core, talent ops is a service function. JR and Eileen shared a lot, but they have so much more to offer. So go find them on LinkedIn. If you have questions or wanna learn more, they are fantastic people and they care about this crazy thing that we're doing here. I'll let you go now, uh, but you should expect to hear from me again with next week's episode. Until then, stay
2: safe out there. Bye, I love you, bye.